0: Think about the concept of rare. It's often synonymous with unique, valuable, precious. But what about in the context of disease? Rare diseases are defined as having an extremely low prevalence, yet an estimated 30 million Americans have one. That's one in 10 people. Listen as we uncover some of the inspiring stories of lives touched by rare disease and see how, in the end, We all have rare in common.
1: I'm your host, Andra Stratton, and I have a rare disease. Since my diagnosis with partial lipodystrophy at age 37, I've become a voice for my community, first through the creation of the patient foundation Lipodystrophy United, and now through public outreach and national awareness campaigns. Today, we explore the topic of advocacy in the rare disease space. Patty Welton joins us to talk about how she felt compelled to advocate on behalf of all rare diseases, not just the ones her daughters have. Hi, Patty. It's so great to see you in person. Thank
2: you for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here, especially uh, getting to meet you in person.
1: Yes, finally, right. I mean, right. in the rare disease world, um, some of us can feel really close and bonded, and follow each other's stories, and that's all because of social media. I think so. Yeah. Social media has changed the face of how we can interact with others with the same rare disease, and then others Absolutely. with another rare disease. It,
2: it's it's uh, for my in my life is it's you know imperative. I have to have it. Yes.
1: For me, personally, it's great to meet you in person. I've most recently been um, watching some of your your uh, adventures with your kids. Um, why don't you tell uh, our audience a little bit about yourself and your daughters?
2: Okay. Well, um, my daughter, Olivia, was born with um, hyperpigmented macules. She had like these brown spots and It took us a couple of years to find a doctor who diagnosed her, and she was diagnosed with a disease called hypermelanosis of Ito, or sometimes they call it pigmentary mosaicism. And they told us that it would just be cosmetic. So, I really didn't worry about her. She had a lot of issues growing up. Most of them um, turns out to be allergies, or which is mast cell activation syndrome. So, she had a lot of uh, tubes. She had some endoscopic sinus surgeries. And then, you know, one day, li- like a mom, I said, I-, I think this is allergies. And I took her to an allergist and she was just off the charts. She mm-hmm. was allergic to everything. And once she got on a, an allergy regimen, she was stable, uh, no more surgeries. And um, so I was under the assumption that my daughter had HI. And when she turned 18, she started losing her teeth. And then she started having some—she was a Division One number one tennis player, doubles tennis player. Wow. And she had already had tethered spinal cord surgery, which I attributed to her disease of HI. Right. Because as she grew, it wasn't really cosmetic. I mean, there were other things that were going on. Her hands and feet were deformed. Uh, She had an overgrown mandibular. But everything that happened, I attributed to the HI. And so when she had the tethered spinal cord syndrome... um, You know, I was, uh, at the time I was married and I was sitting by your bed because I slept at the hospital the whole week she was there and I was looking at the Rare Disease Day events because it was right around Rare Disease Day and I was like, wow, a lot of these events are by disease and they're not by location. And I knew how I felt, I mean, when I met another mom with a kid with a rare disease, it didn't matter to me what your disease was. We were on the same journey, right? And that made us um, in, in this this special group um, that I couldn't, that other parents couldn't relate to, uh, even parents with uh, you know other il- kids with other illnesses like diabetes and other type illnesses. But with, when it comes to rare diseases, when no one can even pronounce your kid's name, <laughs> your kid's disease, that that you know we 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 um, you know we really bond. So. While I was, while Olivia was in the hospital, I said, "You know, I'm going to start a group, and I'm going to do it just in Rhode Island, and I just want to do one event a year for Rare Disease Day, where we can bring all of the families together, um, uh, you know, and it'd be more like a family event. Yeah. And no, 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 doctors, no lecturing, except by me. And <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my event, my soapbox. That's right. I'm getting up on my soapbox. Our first event, we had. 150 people drive out in a blizzard into the middle of nowhere, um, and it would have been 350 people. How long ago was this? That was um, 2011, and was this, our first event.
1: And Olivia was still just diagnosed with HIV Still HI at thinking this time? Olivia had
2: HIV. And the reason I, I did this was because I, I thought, look, my kids are good. I can help people. I've been on this journey, um, but uh, my, my kids are good. So I'd like to give back to people that their lives are, are much more difficult than mine. right? So that's why I started. And, you know, at the time, then I got divorced and I was looking for work. And um, during that time, Olivia, uh, her teeth started falling out. And she started having severe, severe pain in between her shoulder blades. And so I took her to some doctors in Boston. And she had a whole team. She was admitted for pain. Um, she had a whole team of doctors, and no one could figure out what was going on. No no one had any idea what was going on. And um, when they did a scan of her jaw, they found that she had Chiari malformation. So I joined a group for Chiari, on Facebook for Chiari malformation. And I started recognizing that the people with Chiari also had a tethered spinal cord. And I'm like... Wait a minute. Olivia had it said the spinal cord. And then, um, of course, I was familiar with Ellis Danlos syndrome because I had friends with Ellis Danlos syndrome. Right. So it was like midnight. I'd been up all night researching everything, and I, I called my younger daughter and I'm like, Hannah, get down here right now! And I did the Biteman scale, which is a measure of hypermobility, with Hannah. With Hannah, Hannah got a nine out of nine. She could she when she was younger, she would dislocate her shoulder and lick her elbow, and we thought, great, yeah, get down, let's get on David Letterman. Right. We didn't party know trick. it was yeah, exactly it was a party trick. We didn't know that it was going to be, um, you know, present problems in the. Future future. So I had actually been to an EDS conference, not knowing my kids had Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Unbelievable. And so um, I called the doctors the next day. I actually Googled oral manifestations of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and there it was, all of Olivia's dental issues. Yep. The teeth. So was I called that
1: t- really about the exact same time as you discovering you thought Hannah
2: yeah. had EDS? Oh, yeah. I so, just, like, once I knew Olivia had it, yep. Once I knew, I said, uh, Olivia's got it. I bet you Hannah has it. Right. And when she came down and did the—which was great, because being proactive—I put Hannah in physical therapy right away. I took her out of tennis, which is the worst sport you can play um, if you're an EDSer. Um, and I think that I was able to um, limit the amount of damage she had done to her joints um, and limit the amount of subluxations and dislocations she was she, she has experienced in her life. Right. So, um you know, it was just an an unusual because I was so familiar with Elo's Danlos syndrome, and I'm like, I can't believe I've been. And I used to say to my ex husband, his hands were so bendy. I'm like, you're like Gumby, like it's like you have no bone in your hands because all of
1: the, a sudden the pieces, the fixed. pieces
2: started falling in the mast cell activation syndrome, and all of these things started falling into place, and. um you know, I called the hospital and her team, and I said, "I think it's aloes Danlos syndrome." And they were like, I, I, "You're right. Yes, it's ellis Danlos." Isn't that syndrome.
1: amazing? That feeling. It sounds like your experience with the diagnosis is similar to mine. And I wasn't diagnosed with lipodystrophy until 37, and uh, I, I actually wasn't looking for a diagnosis. I was at the endocrinologist because of an abnormal mammogram. You know, you you it's like you right. get sent in one direction, and you all of a sudden end up not where you thought you would be.
2: Right. And it's like crow open that door cracking.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I walk into the doctor. He looks at me, not kidding, just looks at me for two seconds and says, I think you have familial partial lipodystrophy." And it, wow. And then he, he went, excuse me, let me get a piece of paper. He printed it out and he brought it to me. And I said, oh, okay. The this same experience sense. as you did where it just was like, okay. That makes sense from zero to thirty-seven all of a sudden.
2: Right. So it was just this aha. Did um, you think a lot of the things you experienced growing up were normal? Like, oh, this is just what happens to everybody. Yes. That's and what I, my kids did. Right.
1: And for me, the diagnosis uh was like this great, okay, now the puzzle fits together when it didn't before.
2: Right. And
1: it I mean, just with your it's amazing to me, your story of you were in the rare disease
2: world, but not quite there until you got there right so what is it and been? I, I thought I knew what the journey was, and I did not yeah. I mean obviously you you know you know me, you know my kids. it has been downhill um, since the diagnosis right, so you were familiar with e d s you thought, okay, right. I got this, but so and I, I had also known people that had, you know, n- you know, taken fifty years to get diagnosed, and they were in, a, they were in really bad shape. EDS is a progressive disease. Right. Uh, a lot of these people, there are no physical symptoms of um, EDS, so they look perfectly normal. It's an invisible illness. Uh, they're not believed. Um, I'm not believed. Uh, you know, a lot of that, you know, uh, hysterical mom, overprotective, overinvolved. Um, but I know my kids, right? So when something is off, and now I know Ella's danlos syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> so this was how many years ago? This was. Olivia um, well, was eighteen, so three years ago. Wow! And the journey has been—it's been, it's un- been a wild ride. It's been the and you know what? Ello's danlos syndrome is not rare. Uh, my daughter's type, it's hypermobile EDS. It's not a connective tissue disorder. Um, it is an autoimmune disorder. This is my belief in a couple of other doctors, but uh, I've been studying it. You
1: obviously have a lot of uh, expertise in your own research. I mean, yes. what do we call ourselves?
2: Citizen, citizen scientists. Scientist, right? Absolutely.
1: Uh, do you feel like you have a team of physicians or at least one that you can partner with and work with? Oh, we mess. have
2: we're we're actually extremely fortunate. There's a pain management specialist in Rhode Island who is, you know, people from all over the world. He specializes in EDS. People from all over the world come to him. And <coughs> excuse me, uh, the first time we went to see him, um, he sat down next to my daughter Hannah, who actually was hospitalized in a psych ward and told she was not sick, that she did not have POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. She was simply dehydrated. He took her hand, I'm going to cry, and he said, "Um, I believe you. Mm. And then he came over to me, and he put his hands on my face, and he said, I believe you too. And he said, "Um, you're, you're an excellent mother, you're the perfect mother for your kids and you know after fighting doctors for 20 years um yes. it was so validating and uh it was such a relief uh and he's 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 so re- well respected in the EDS community um and everyone knows him as a specialist you know so having his um, you know his diagnosis and him behind us has has been an, an, an enormous help to us. We 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 absolutely adore Dr. Chopra.
1: I think that that is something that we see no matter what disease you have. Absolutely, is right? just that that fight to be heard uh, and validated, and and not everyone gets there. The, no, and it's really challenging. I do think that. Um, you trailblazers like yourself, show that it can be done. Um, and so you started Rare Disease United. Yes. Uh, and around the same time as all of this is happening. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about how you uh, help others with Rare Disease United and, 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 you know, and show that example of how you have fought and won in many cases.
2: Well, we, we started um, you know, with a state-based model. Um, No one was working by state at the time. And, you know, after I did the first event, we had a call from uh, Senator Whitehouse's office. And they asked us to work on the Expert Act, which allowed um, the FDA to bring in outside experts when they're reviewing uh, orphan treatments. So So, important. I know, so important. So we worked with them on that, and um, I started to recognize that this business model uh, was— the way to go like we need to work by state not just for rare disease day mm-hmm. events but for legislation there's legislation that's um, you know uh, meaningful in each state like newborn screening and other different things and we needed to to create uh, a community by state which we did on Facebook we created Facebook groups by state right um, and we started working in Massachusetts and New Jersey and then we had a chairman the chairman of our board at the time, um, had a rare disease, and he created legislation for a rare disease advisory council, which has now passed in several states. Um, so we're kind of proud of that le- legacy. You should be very proud of both, we, we are, both of those legacies. I know. We're, 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 really, we're really proud of that. And then, um, you know, I, I we're very hands-on. I mean, I, I get calls almost daily. I just got an email this morning from somebody saying, I don't know what's wrong with me. Can you talk to me? Yeah. And I said, you know, let's schedule a time. We can talk on the phone. And, he, he, you know, his reply was, you don't know how much this means to me. And I'm like, I do because my, I know what it would mean to my kids. Right. So um, I, I make myself available. Um, our phone actually goes right to my cell phone because I don't want to miss anybody's calls. Um,
1: yeah, I, I'm the head of my foundation as well and really – There. Somebody said, I know it's past business hours, but—and I just laughed because— I know. There
2: are no business hours. In advocacy, there are no (laughs) business hours.
1: I mean, when you've been someone who who doesn't have answers, you know how important it is.
2: Absolutely. To at least listen. Listen. Yes, exactly.
1: Listen. Sometimes all it takes is somebody to listen. Yes. So how did you, as a mother— figure out that the foundation should focus on, or not only focus, but really look at legislation? How did you determine, wait a minute, it's really the where it's at as legislation? Well, nothing
2: was happening on a federal level. Okay. You know, there was so, so, state so by state. little, yeah, there was so little happening for us on a federal level that, um, you know, even the Expert Act, it's not really used, um, even though it was, it's law uh so so i mean there's there's other things too like the orphan drug act there's a provision in the orphan drug act for uh um a, a orphan product board right. that would include all state stakeholders and they don't institute it. it went dormant in like the early 80s or something so um you know it just seemed to me that nothing was getting done um and that we there's a lot more that we can do on a state level and then of course we Uh, started moving into the art exhibit was an accident. Tell us about that. Never intended for it to be where it is today. It's actually, we've had to create our own website just for the art exhibit.
1: Yeah, I'm familiar
2: with these incredibly beautiful portraits, but why don't you tell us a little bit about Beyond the Diagnosis. It is the most gratifying, uh, for me, joyful um, project. It is— How to get started. You know, what a young a young woman came up to me, and she said, I need to paint f- someone for a high school project. Can I paint someone with a rare disease? Oh, And brilliant. I was like, sure. And then, you know, 2 in the morning, I was like, oh, my God, I wonder if I could put out a call for art in Rhode Island, and we can paint a bunch of people with rare diseases, and then we can put it... Because for me, diagnosis time is an issue. 18 years to get my daughter diagnosed, and I was the one that diagnosed her. You know, that's not acceptable. And I know we need to be in medical schools. So I thought... So the portrait would be (coughs) one way to give access. Right. And our hope was that, oh, we could get one student would look at a portrait and go, oh, maybe that might interest me. And what has happened is, you know, this exhibit has created... Uh, curriculum it's created symposiums and conversations where there was none right you know it is it's blowing my mind that they that it's it's gotten so big uh, we went from seventeen portraits to um We have about a little over 100 portraits right now representing 100 different rare diseases. We have artists from all over the world. We're starting to bring in patients from all over the world. I mean, in the beginning, it was just my friends. I'd call them, oh, (laughs) yeah, my friend has a kid, has Duchenne. I'm like, hey, do you want us to paint your kid for the exhibit? You know, everybody was my friend um, that was in the very first exhibit.
1: The thing is, is we've been to those symposiums. Over and over and over. And who wants to go look at another poster board, right? No.
2: So it's it's Oh the just impact. This connection. It's a reminder why we do what we do. Yeah. It's the you the humanity in these portraits. And because each one is different and has a different perspective from the artist, um you know, I, I think it, it that's why it's been able to bridge this gap to the general public. I mean, we were, after two venues, we were approached by CBS Sunday morning. I thought it was somebody tricking me, one of my (laughs) friends. I'm like, who's doing this to me? Um, But it was a producer from CBS uh, Sunday morning and after just two venues, we were filming for uh, you know, the, a piece, a seven-minute piece on CBS with seven million viewers yep. learning about all rare diseases.
1: I was one of those viewers. It was, really? Really? Oh, of course. My but, I mean, I knew, I knew to look out for it.
2: When we went to Harvard, you know, they put out a press release. And so Boston Magazine picked it up. Boston Globe did a full-page print story. Right. Uh, Stat News. You know, when Harvard talks, people listen. So... It, it, That's the truth. we didn't have to we don't have to do any of the like um, we're going to nemours and they just informed me last week that they want me to do a radio show um while I'm there. I usually go and speak at a lot of the venues. So um they asked us to do a radio show about the exhibit. So we're having these conversations that weren't possible before in a way that is um you know just engages people that, in a way, art everyone can understand. Right. Everyone can look at these pictures. You might not be able to pronounce the disease, but you can see these children. Yes. You can see that they're someone's child. That 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 you can see their souls in some of these pictures. So it's.
1: How do you think
2: these portraits affect or
1: impact the families that are being painted? The well. Child?
2: Uh, This week, we were at, um, last week, we were at the World Lysosomal Storage Disease uh, Conference. And we were really excited to be there, and there were several parents that were attending the conference that hadn't seen their portrait, their child's portrait, in person. And then we had uh, families. One family dry, drove in from Utah to see their child's portrait, and one family drove in from Arizona, and there were tears and joy, and you know just such a connection. And they were thrilled to be able to be with their kids' portraits. It was it was it was magic. It was really it was magic. It was the best week. How about the
1: kids seeing themselves? In oh, portrait? they they loved it. Yeah, they loved it. Yeah. They, do you think that do you think that helps them engage in their disease in a way that, that they're not able to without it?
2: Um they were they're pretty young, yeah. the ones that came in to see but the older kids? Right. Yeah. I, I absolutely think that it, it um it empowers them.
1: What else uh do you do you see happening in our future? I mean you've been really involved in policy, uh uh, and and you've shown how important advocacy is in affecting that. Do you do you see the light at the end of the tunnels for some for new hope coming out in the next few years?
2: Um, you know, I, I think that um, the way we're perceived by the government. Um, you know, basically, they don't understand the. Uh, to me, this is a health crisis. You know, when you have children, uh, millions suffering and dying, right. uh, that's a health crisis. And I don't think that they understand. This is the United States. This is the twenty first century. I've had a grown man call me crying. I am losing my home because, you know, usually, you know, one person can't work. You know, so you have to stay home and take care. I could never work a forty, a regular forty-hour-a-week job. You know, I just took three weeks off to sit in a hospital with my daughter. Um, my other daughter, we were we were in New York City for—I mean, we were in uh, Long Island for her brain surgery for a month. You know. He, People just don't allow that to happen. And then the follow-up doctor's appointments and, you know, the constant physical therapy. And so I don't think they they recognize the scope of this, you know, crisis. I, I, I really don't. And... Um, I'm yeah, hoping, the burden of the
1: disease goes way beyond. Oh, way
2: beyond one. You it's know, not just metabolics it's other or family members; it's neighbors that are yeah. that are getting involved in in, in your kids' lives, and um, it, it's such a difficult, uh, unimaginable way of life. So I don't really blame uh, people for not understanding understanding it. I think we need to do a better job of. Um, Having people see our um, our life as it is, yeah, and uh, that's why we started this new program I don't know if I, I ever talked about it um, rare education real no,
1: I haven't tell us about
2: it uh, okay, so we're doing this program this is another one of my two o'clock in the morning ideas. Uh, we started this program I'm all about visual after I saw how well the art exhibit um, was working, yep. and changing our lives. I started thinking about, okay, so I'm sick of trying to raise awareness to people who should already know. So I thought, we need to get into the middle schools and high schools. We need to do a video. I completely agree (laughs) with you (laughs) because there are future doctors. Future doctors, future parents, future teachers that might see. They are the future, and I am sick of saying – do you, I remember my daughter and I, went, I we were on a busy city street, and I kept saying, do you know when Rare Disease Day is? And everybody's like, what? Um, but d- did they know the pink ribbon? Absolutely. Five-year-olds knew the pink ribbon was breast cancer. Right. So our idea is to create this video series, and the first one will be available um, Rare Disease Day. We'll be debuting at Rare Disease Day. And the first one is about statistics, but it's in a way that it's a video um, It's short enough that it'll keep their attention span, and it's visual in a way that will impact them, that they won't forget it.
1: Well, I just asked you about the future. (coughs) This is the future. So you know where I think another thing I think is really exciting about this idea, um, and and something similar to to what I did um, for Rare Disease Day a few years ago, taking this uh, information to the middle schoolers, to the high school It also allows the discussion about individual differences. Yes. Right? And disability. Yes. And bullying.
2: You know, it's very important because the original script that I was given, they were saying, oh, we're having a birthday. It it surrounds a birthday party. And all of his friends are coming. I said, you get to take that out because, like, my daughter was the only one that wasn't invited to a birthday party. Right. So— these kids don't have friends a lot of these kids don't have friends or if they're friends they're friends with other kids um you know in their community that have the same disease or so uh, you know i wanted to drive home that a lot of the, when they're young the bullying and the, the not just bullying it's the ostracism like they're ostracized oh right well, well, my daughter because uh, they're
1: different the, i mean it's it's a human nature thing i always talk about it's this. a human nature thing and rare it's 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 When somebody looks different or is different, it is human instinct to look and watch. That's why I have a visual disease. It's internal, also, but you can see it. Right. So I look very different. And uh, most days, I recognize that it is completely normal for people to look and
2: wonder. I totally agree. So that's an opportunity. Right. I love it when. I, I love do, too. It I ask people. I'll yes. walk up and they'll be in a wheelchair and I'll say, what do you have? Yes. You know, just because I'm interested. It's better than
1: making assumptions. It's better than whispering. It's better I than... I totally
2: agree. Yeah. Ask me. Yep.
1: Absolutely, absolutely agree. ask me.
2: Olivia, my daughter Olivia has, you know, she had a lot of brown pigmentation on her neck. They would call her dirty. Um, her hands were just slightly deformed, but it was enough that they picked up on that. Right. And... Um, you know, she was completely um, left out of of uh, most of the activities at the, you know, with the kids at the school. I call it living in a
1: fishbowl because yeah. everyone's watching, and it doesn't matter how much you want to live outside of your disease, no one else will let you, even right. they if you tried. You. So Olivia recently had uh, an issue with her eye that seemed to be unrelated to EDS. What happened?
2: Yes, it was actually um, it was a Infection caused by a corneal abrasion, which was because of a contact lens, and it was absolutely um, unrelated to her Ellis Danlos syndrome. Uh, it, apparently, it's i would ne- never heard it before, but it's apparently it's common with contact lens uh, wearers. She had her um, times where she was very, very much aware of, of um, that she lost her eyesight um, in one eye and you know she's had so much loss uh, over the years um, you know it's because of her physical health uh, that she had her moments and then she she actually threw her tears um, when we were at the hospital when they were saying you'll never see out of that eye again she looked up at me she was crying and she said I just want to go back to to my room and do my homework, and you know that's Olivia. You know,
1: yeah. Well, I I watched it on on social media, and as soon as she could, she did exactly that. Yep, pretty amazing.
2: Yep, she's pretty amazing. What we call rare champion. Yes, she she really is. She's still she does actually does some of the RDUF stuff, too. I'm like, hey, can you get on the website and update? She built the Beyond the Diagnosis website for me. That's great. So I got her working already. I'm like, you're not in school. You can do some work. (laughs) (laughs) You can see a little bit again. Get back to work. You got one good
1: eye. Go out there and
2: do your work. (laughs) It's amazing
1: how perspective changes. Yep. How do you manage uh, the foundation At the same time, you're in a medical crisis, in like an acute situation, because it's always chronic. It's always happening, right? But in those acute situations,
2: Um, how do you manage that? You know what? I actually, I post on LinkedIn, and I say, "Listen to my colleagues. um, We're going through something. Please, uh, you know, be patient. Uh, I will." and, And everybody, everybody's been wonderful. You know, I have, uh, of course, when Olivia went through with her eye, because it was so completely unexpected and not related to her disease, um, I checked out. I mean, I was basically checked out. Oh,
1: you have too. And okay. it was
2: at the time that we were getting just getting ready to set up all of these uh, venues we had coming up. And I made a few mistakes along the way, and um, everybody that I dealt with, was, I just am open. I just don't listen. Yeah. I have sick kids. This is my life. I mean, it's what makes me good at what I do, right. but it also makes me bad at what I do. No,
1: you're right. So, I mean, we're professionals in advocacy, right? But we're patients or caregivers, right? And, and I'm, I'm always mom first. Yeah, so. I I do have to set. You know, those expectations. I mean, I recognize when I'm dealing with yep. professional stakeholders that um, they're expecting utmost professional from me, which they can get most of the time. Right. Um, but I, for me, I think it is professional to say up front. Absolutely. Um, there are times where my health will not allow me to meet uh, the
2: timeline that you need. It's very rare, and I'll right. keep you posted. Same here. So Same it's open. With, and I actually – I find the work um, – keeps me sane, especially the art exhibit, because it's so uh, uplifting. So when I'm in a crisis, and, you know, especially like this last one, um, you know, I was at the hospital. I, they had set me up a little desk. I slept there every night, and I had my computer and my Coca-Cola, and I yeah. had my office right yep. there,
1: you know. You just you just keep on yeah, going. Yeah, and it—, it um, It would be disingenuous otherwise, though, right? I mean, if we're talking about making advancements in rare disease and we're learning um, and we're trying to educate others on the struggles of rare disease, to show anything but reality doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I try to
2: keep. Obviously, the crying hysterically <laughs> to, to myself. <laughs> yes. The crawled up in bed crying <laughs> or in the shower crying. Right, fair enough. <laughs> um, yep, but, but I do. And I. you know what? I got to tell you Facebook has been for me, you know, you yep. and, and Teresa and all these people that I know. Um, you know, my family's not involved with my children and my ex-husband is not involved. So it's it's me, my kids and it's my rare disease peeps, you know. It's, it's like
1: Facebook family, right? My
2: Facebook family and they have been um, you know, when Olivia when Hannah was having her brain surgery and we were on Long Island and um You know the post that that I would post like this is happening today, and I would get you know we 're sending prayers we 're sending hugs um you know people asking questions, and it kept me um it felt like I had a really great support system with me right that I could carry around on my phone well, and that 's <laughs> the thing
1: and because it's often global, it is often almost 24 hours a day, right? There's
2: absolutely. There's always somebody there for yeah, you. We actually, true. I got an interesting story about, um, uh, I actually wrote a blog about uh, the subculture of uh, medicine and rare diseases yes. about Facebook. Did you read that blog?
1: Yes, I did. And I i mean, 100%, I think it's changing. It it's, really is it's changing, changing the face. Of, oh, absolutely. So I, I was just going to ask how Olivia's, taking on her, as she's getting older, is taking on her own health? That was my next question. Is that an okay question? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, one thing that has uh, recently really stood out to me about Olivia is, is how uh, resilient she is and how she just keeps going. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about how she advocates for herself and, and how your relationship with her has changed through this advocacy?
2: Well, you know, when, when your child is sick and they turn 18, everything changes. Right. And so when Olivia turned 18, um, you know, n- no one wanted to talk to mom anymore. You know, she had to give permission.
1: So they're really they're looking to her.
2: Yeah, they're looking to her. And Olivia's, um, even though she she's very very resilient. I mean, when she was in the hospital for her eye, she was doing her schoolwork, um, and she never got to go back to school. But she finished the schoolwork at home, and she graduated. Uh, she made the dean's list. So that's that's her. And I think part of that is when you have these kids that grow up sick, they they're just so resilient so so when we started to navigate the um, 18 uh, even though she's resilient Olivia's shy um, and enormously kind and you've probably she's the first one to like everybody's posts and you know and say hugs and she's just a wonderful kid but It was a huge transition to go from mommy's taking care of everything to I now have to be my own advocate. And um, I realized, you know, I'm not young anymore. I'm not going to be around forever. I don't want my kids to be uh, left holding the bag and not knowing what to do. So I totally backed off when she turned 18. And... um, you know she is in charge of all of her own appointments wow. she keeps track of everything she did all of her own uh disability stuff uh she, the ride bus um she you know i don't drive her to t- to her classes she takes the ride bus uh she became very very independent um it, it's a, it's a, it was amazing to watch her grow into this um young lady she still has a little difficulty um challenging the doctors or right. saying, hey, I don't think that's right, or this. Hannah has her own way. She will write an email, and she'll come to me, and she'll have me review it. It's always amazing. I'm like, Hannah, I couldn't have written it better myself. Um, you, you're too hard on yourself, you right. know. Uh, as long as you covered all the bases, you, you, you're doing great. Um I want to be able to know, I won't have any peace unless I know that my kids are able to take care of themselves in the event that something happens to me. Um, And I I just went away for a week, um, not that long after Olivia had her surgery, which was a huge deal for me. I spent, I was agonizing over this trip. Should I go? Should I not go? They were great. I had some friends look in on them a couple of times. Yeah. They sent me a picture that like, look, we made sushi. We learned how to make sushi. We, we they went to the mall together. Excellent. And made some funny videos to make me laugh. And um, I, I think we have a really great balance between um, I'm your mother, I'm your caregiver, and um, and now at their age, I'm, I'm your friend. Um, and
1: rare, normal is often a different.
2: Normal, yeah, it's a different. Right? It's a different normal. But
1: as a parent, you think, um, okay, right? That's what we do when our kids are, are transitioning to adulthood. Absolutely, it's at a different
2: level. Yep.
1: But it's it's
2: the same. And I also believe in having, and you can probably see from my post, I believe in having a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if you saw the video of Hannah. Uh, that I filmed her in her wheelchair from behind and she was really mad and (laughs) then she she just had her little legs move in the wheelchair as fast as she could away from me and we were both like laughing hysterically. (laughs) So <laughs> you just take those
1: moments. We and do. Make we take those moments.
2: And I'm like, you know what? It, um, and actually, the one thing about EDSers is uh, they don't wrinkle. Um, and Hannah likes to bring that up to me all the time when yes. she notices my wrinkles. Like, that's not going to happen to me, Mom. <laughs> you, you know, you have to take the little wins. You've got a- to. Absolutely. And we, we I mean, they've lost so much. I mean, they can't even go to the beach because they walk on the beach. Their joints dislocate. Right. The sand. Um, right. Yeah. They've lost so much. But um, in so many ways, we become um, this—just me, Olivia, and Hannah have become this workable uh, family um, that's taking care of each other. Like, no one—you know, everyone steps up. Like, when when Olivia had her drops and she was getting them around the clock, you know, I had to sleep by the time—you know, that was when she came home. I had to sleep. I couldn't— stay up every day, you know, and so Hannah would, I uh, would sleep in during the day, and Hannah would, um, s- during a short time during the day, and Hannah would do the drops, so I taught Hannah how to do her eye drops, and you know it it works out great it works out like we're there for each other and uh that's that's really special and really unique and i you know i didn't grow up in that kind of family i had a great family life and but we never had to learn that to be dependent on each other for right. really for our survival and um i'm really really proud of my daughters after going away for that week and them then, um, now I'm going to take a vacation. <laughs> I'm not going to do work. I'm taking a vacation.
1: I think you deserve it. I us. think I should
2: That sounds like, yes. Uh, somewhere. I probably won't go far away, but. <laughs> Still,
1: well-deserved. Do they talk about uh, their their next steps, their goals?
2: Uh, Hannah wants to be a doctor. And Olivia wants to work in special ed. Um, before her eye, she was actually uh, working for the Trudeau Center. So she was working with uh, a child with a rare disease. Um, and she was teaching life skills, cooking, and, and use, how to use the ride bus. And, um, you know, so that, 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 that works great. And I think she's perfect because she has yes. the compassion to do that work. Um, Hannah is very, very uh, much into math and science and physics. She loves physics. And so um, uh, she thinks that she will make a good doctor because she's lived it. Yeah, absolutely. that she will be a compassionate and uh, open um, doctor. So uh, she's not in school, back in school yet. It's going to take her... Um she probably will be around twenty one when she finishes her high school degree. Uh but it, that doesn't matter. That does not matter. None That's of that, not the issue. None of that matters. Uh, it's just take as long there. as you need. Yep, take as long as you need. And um and she's on the mend, you know, it's it's about eighteen month recovery from that surgery. So um I see improvement all the time. And and so much improvement. I mean, she was on bed rest for six months. She couldn't add two and two together. This was a brilliant kid, and she could not string a sentence together. Well, she'll get back. Yeah. she As soon as they put the rods in her neck and they, you know, her brainstem was being yeah. crushed. Right. And as soon as they put the rods in and raised her head up, she's like, oh, my God, I'm back. You know, she's like, can I have a book? <laughs> she could feel <laughs> like, it. Yeah. She immediately. So, um, I mean, you know, the the healing of the wound and that kind of stuff is slow, but... Um, that part of it was great. And she tires, she tires very, very easily. Yeah, I think we see that a lot in the rare disease community. Yeah, but she's a lot more private. You know, Olivia has spoken at different events for, for, you know, advocating. And she works with the dysautonomia group and has gone to their events. Hannah does not want to be, like, he, Olivia's in all the groups on Facebook. Yeah, right. Hannah, Hannah is a lot more private. Both, I mean, both have incredibly bright futures. Very, I have no doubt about that. You've done I have well, no Mama. doubt about um, their 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 future. Well, you've taught them knowledge is power. Yes, exactly.
1: Obviously, your connection with your kids is so strong, and your connection with these families are so strong. Um, do people ever ask you? Well, so your kids have a diagnosis. Why don't you just? stop fighting or stop advocating and focus
2: I do on that. I am focusing on their disease yeah. <laughs> That's just I do that privately that's just my Yeah I do I do So you just both Oh yeah I'm I am heavily I actually just was asked to sit on um the advisory council for uh Jack's Legacy Connect it's a connective tissue center um So, yeah, I am absolutely doing EDS. I am uh, behind the scenes, um, very much involved in EDS and the research of EDS and treatments and... Um, so that's not something I, I right. promote, but yeah,
1: I, I love that though because I, I think you can. I think you can look at one disease and also at the whole right. rare disease community because there's so many. Commonalities.
2: It's a great perspective to work, and it actually helps me with my research into EDS. Um, it's a great perspective to have in- access to all of these different diseases um, while I'm working on Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome because it gives me insight. And I'll I'll start making connections like, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. Wait a minute. And, I'm, you know, I'm trying to put the pieces together. And what are they using? And how is that working? And, you know, how, how might that translate to uh, some of the symptoms of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome because it's multisystemic. Right. So, I, I think I'm, I'm really in a fortunate position that um, this d- non-disease specific work leads me to again better work for my for my kids' yes, disease. But exactly. yes, I am very very involved with um, with uh, EDS, and of course it's my kids. As soon as I found out, I was like, "Yep, I am." I'm, I was actually one of the doctors that's a mass cell specialist um, was emailing. We were emailing back and forth at Christmas night. Yeah. You know, just going back. Well, I think this, and I was, you know, about I was asking yeah. questions about i and like this is a devoted uh, researcher. And you know, my kids are like, "What are you doing, mom?" I'm like, "Work." <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I certainly didn't uh, d- don't question myself as an advocate. What in the world you're doing? But you know, it's it's always a, in our in our society in our world. It's it is I think hard for people to understand. Like, how do you make those choices? And it, I, I, I'm not saying they wouldn't make the same choices.
2: They probably would. It's just that you you really know what? don't I know was until in, you get there. I was in the, the position I was in working non-disease specific before I even knew my kids had a disease that I would need to research. Yeah, And I'm not going to abandon anybody. Right. You know, like I'm like, I can't abandon these families. I can't abandon abandon these wonderful programs. I'll just do both. <laughs> you know? And you make it work? At 2 o'clock in the morning. At 2 o'clock in
1: the morning. <laughs> in the hospital with in a can In the of hospital.
2: Coke. <laughs> Yeah, it's the Coke that's, uh, you know, Coca-Cola. get me my Coca-Cola. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let's make that clear. Let's call it soda pop. Let's make that clear.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rare in Common podcast. Tune in for more at rareincommon.com, listen to other episodes in the archives, and sign up to find out when new episodes are released. Rare in Common podcast. Click. Listen. Feel.